0: I wonder what you think of when you hear the phrase, place of worship. Do you think of a church or a cathedral? Perhaps you recognise that not all people worship in those types of buildings. Perhaps you know a congregation which meets in a community centre or a school. Perhaps your mind goes wider and you think of synagogues, temples, mosques that you've visited around the world. But have you ever considered that there might be other places of worship that come in a totally different guise? You see, we have been created to be a worshipping people. We can't help it. We all ultimately give our devotion to somebody or something. So for some people, their place of worship may well be their place of work where they will sacrifice the best of their time, their emotional well-being, and even their family time. For others, it may be the place where they keep their money, because that's where their sense of security comes from. For still others, it might be a TV programme they feel they cannot miss, or a celebrity who becomes their idol. There's nothing wrong with work or money, enjoyment or love. The problem comes when we make it an idol, when we make it the priority of our life. Now, an idol is when we take anything that isn't God and put it in the place where God belongs. But this isn't a new thing. You see, Scripture tells us that the ancient world was a world like ours, full of places of worship And idols. Acts 17 finds the Apostle Paul in Athens waiting for fellow workers in the faith, Silas and Timothy. And what Paul saw in Athens moved him to engage with the people there. You see, within the city there were tens of thousands of idols being worshipped, everyone with a name and assumed to be responsible for something in human nature or the human world. And just in case they missed a god, they erected an altar to an unknown god, because they knew they didn't have it all covered. Now, before you dismiss these people as uneducated ancient people, you need to know that Athens was a centre of learning in its day. It was there that the idea of democracy took root. Many of the world's great early philosophers and thinkers lived there. Euripides, Plato and Socrates. Athens was a centre of philosophy, literature, science and art. This was a city dedicated to truth, dedicated to wisdom. And yet in the midst of all this pursuit of truth and wisdom, there was confusion because when it came to God, they did not know which truth to embrace. They didn't know which God to reach out to. And when Paul addresses their confusion, he doesn't go in with all guns blazing, trying to browbeat them into his belief. He didn't debate. He simply shared a truth, that God is available to all that seek him. And in this approach, Paul didn't build a wall he built a bridge. We can learn from Paul's approach to speaking to the leaders of Athens. He was not defensive, he was not aggressive or insulting. He also recognised that this conversation would be a process, not a one-time elevator pitch. Paul stood in the midst of what was called Mars Hill and he spoke to the people in a positive way. He didn't attack them for false beliefs, instead his opening remark is a compliment. People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. And then he turns his attention to an inscription he had seen on an altar to an unknown God. And Paul announces, I am here to introduce you to this unknown God. Paul's message is a masterpiece in communication. He started where the people were by referring to their altar dedicated to an unknown God. And having aroused their interest, he then explained who that God is and what he is like. He concluded the message with the assurance that if we seek God, we will find him because God is everywhere. And as their own poets had said, we are his children. Sometimes we all have trouble saying things in a way that others will understand. Two preachers were on the roadside with a sign that read, The end is near, turn back now. A passing driver yelled, Leave us alone, you religious nuts. A few seconds later, the preachers heard squealing brakes, followed by a loud splash. One preacher turned to the other and said, I told you we should just have said, Bridge out. The life of Paul illustrates how to be positive in a world that has forgotten God by choosing to be a builder of bridges rather than a builder of walls that separate. Paul learned from the life of Christ to build bridges to people. Jesus didn't come to condemn people, but to love them. And he spoke to them where they currently were in their journey in a language that they could understand. Using this unknown God as a starting point, Paul shared four basic truths about God that we still need to hear today. The first is the creative greatness of God, who has made the world and all things in it. Second, the creative love of God, he gives to all people life and breath. Third, the amazing rule of God, he is Lord of heaven and earth. And finally, the amazing grace of God. Having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring that all people everywhere should turn back to him because they will be judged on the life they live. And remember this, God won't ask how many material possessions we had. He'll ask if they ruled our life, if we worshiped the God of Mammon. He won't ask in which neighbourhood we lived. He'll ask how we treated our neighbours. God won't ask what we did to promote ourselves. He'll ask what we did to help and promote the well-being of others. The central message of Paul's sermon is that the unknown God has made himself known and that we can come to know him more fully through the one who came to point us back to him. Jesus Christ, his son. That is the message that we as a church are charged to share. We live in a world that still worships an unknown God, where people are still seeking something to make them feel whole. And rather than being critical of their pursuit and where it takes them, let's take Paul's example and talk about matters of the soul in a gentle and respectful way.